0: Just walked it off as we start this pod. Alec, how are we doing on this beautiful Thursday?
1: You know, the weather's beautiful. Wednesday. Wednesday, yeah. Weather's beautiful. d get a W. Got a lot of work done today. Feels good, you know? Can't complain. How about yourself?
0: Dude, it feels so good. About to open myself. Kind of walk away from the phone for a sec there. So I can grab this shine about the pop as my day ends at 440 today. That's pretty solid. I'll take it. Um, and then I just watched that whole D-backs game, baby. Well, let's start here. Arizona Cardinals, baby. Derek Carr signs a massive contract, basically worth $40 million in additional money on his extension for the Raiders. One, does Las Vegas just print money? Like, how... How does Ra- how do- can the Raiders sign Chandler Jones, Devontae Adams, Derek Carr? And or are the Arizona Cardinals just poor? And or are they going to do anything? But most importantly, what do you think that means for Kyler's contract? Now, you see all these big deals? I mean, what's his number now? $45 Does a five-year, $220 million contract? I mean, that sounds about right to me. Like, holy moly.
1: Yeah, I think we touched on it a few months ago, too, with the whole uh, Kyler situation that was going down. People were speculating that he was unhappy, wanted a contract extension. Obviously, his agent works with Cliff, who also got a contract extension. And at that time, you know, I don't want to call this podcast Nostradamus, but I'm pretty sure it was brought up several times that not only is he a franchise quarterback, but you got to just pay him now because it's only going to get pricier and pricier if you keep putting it off. Extend him now. Extend him now. You harped on that. I harped on that. And apparently, you know, management wasn't listening because every couple of weeks now, there's new quarterback contracts. And guess what, Cuse? It's pricier and pricier and pricier. And, you know, Kyler, I think, is worth a lot of money, especially when you compare to these other guys already getting these contracts. Sure, you can argue Aaron Rodgers getting a big deal. Maybe Kyler's not on that level. So that's not necessarily indicative, but a guy like Derek Carr, Kyler Murray is better than Derek Carr. So if Derek Carr is pulling that kind of money, I think Kyler Murray gets 45 million evaluation easy. So I don't know why we haven't extended him. The longer we do it, the more we're going to have to pay. And clearly we don't like shelling out money and paying that much. So I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't have that kind of info, that kind of access, but yeah, man, I think this is just indicative of where the market is going for quarterbacks and Kyler Murray is going to be in the top of that list of pricey quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, yeah I'm just going to, you know, obviously this is something that we've been harping on, but just the fact that we've been proven right so quickly honestly has me kind of concerned. I mean, you see Steve Kime out there chilling at the Blake Shelton concert. Like that's tight. I like that, but we work hard. And then we play hard. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what he's doing out there. He had some funny dance moves. I hope he Ubered home safely. But most importantly, what the heck are you doing? Kyler Murray's contract extension has legitimately gone up by like $100 million in three months. Legitimately, like three months ago, we were talking about like, oh, should Kyler Murray be making like $30 million? You know, like is like $25, $30 million the right range? Not only has Steve Kahn done nothing, not only does Kyler Murray want the contract extension, now the contract extension is literally gone up by $100 million in potential value. If not more, we'll see what other quarterbacks decide to sign like a massive deal. Derek Carr is not even remotely as good as Kyler Murray, um, simply because who's trading Derek Carr for Kyler Murray straight up? I don't think anybody, unless you're like the biggest Kyler hater of all time, cap hit is going to be even more in the future. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on there, bro. And – I don't know. Does the lack of any moves whatsoever kind of concern you, or you just think Steve Kime's going hit, to hit a grand slam in this draft and we're going to have a bunch of good players and we're just going to run it back?
1: Yeah, we got to see what the draft holds. I think Kime's biggest knock has been his drafting, although I would say that he has gotten better in that department. Um, I like some of the recent draft classes. So I'm not as worried about, oh, Kime's not going to be able to draft anybody. But, yeah, it's concerning that we're not getting other things done and other things in place because it's not like you're going to get anything from this draft that's going to solidify that. You're not going to get someone to replace Kyler. You're not going to be able to get, you know, some of these other holes that have been left that you're just going to need to sign free agents or sign the guys you already have that are waiting for extension. So, you know, I'm I'm not – off the time train, I think he does some phenomenal free agent signings and some phenomenal trades and he's getting better with his drafting. But yeah, the fact that nothing's been done, I can't say I'm thrilled with it. And it's like you said, you know, we we won't know the exact value until it's eventually signed. But this potential value of Kyler Murray is just going up and up and up and that price tag is gonna come due at some point in time. Otherwise you're gonna have to let him walk if you're not willing to pay that and I don't think well, anybody wants you that. You have to
0: sign him to win. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, so, nobody wants that. It's just about that. the cap hit at the end of the day. Quick Arizona Coyotes, baby. Two big acquisitions at the trade deadline where we took on some cap, flipped some picks, turned into uh, college stars, Jack McMain and Nathan Smith, both debuted last night versus the Devils. Coyotes are currently obviously not very good, but also horrendously being dragged by injuries at the moment with only about nine games left in the season, about four games left in Gila river arena. Thank goodness. Um, one, what is the, and then also on top of that, these are the ninth and 10th NHL debuts for the debuts for the Yotes this year. A lot of prospect depth. How do you feel about the Arizona Coyotes at this moment? Also clearly have, the number one overall pick or the best odds to get that in their hand at the moment, which is a positive, obviously, draft lottery. But if you have the worst record, you have a guarantee of having a top three pick at worst. So with all that, how do you feel about the Coyotes at the moment? Bill Armstrong, kind of two prospects that are his finally not only in the organization, but on NHL eyes.
1: Yeah. I think the, uh, the acquisitions were great. You pointed that out, I think to Ben and I the other day and the getting younger and younger talent is always a good thing when you're playing us to rebuild from the ground up like that. I am happy that we're back in that top spot to hopefully get the number one overall pick. You know, there was that brief moment when we went on a five game win streak where it's like, maybe we're playing ourselves out of it. So I'm glad we're back there, but You know, I will say it's not necessarily the way you wanted to get there with guys going down just left and right, Keller breaking his femur out for at least six months. Like, that's not the way you want to get the last place draft. You want to have all those guys healthy, building up the team, heading into that. So, you know, in the right spot, maybe not in the best way. Hopefully the season can't just end fast enough and get all our guys healthy off the ice and ready, looking forward to next year. Um, the other thing that I'm interested to hear your thoughts on in addition to the the new acquisitions is, uh, you know, you mentioned we're playing a few games left in, what is it, Gila River Arena now out in Glendale, and then we're done. Yeah. Um, but now there's some issues being raised about the new stadium in Tempe, so I want to get your thoughts on that as well.
0: Oh, man. Well, th- we don't have long enough for this podcast, but let me just say that the FAA – And the city of Phoenix both have raised concerns related to Sky Harbor travel based on where the Coyotes want to put their stadium, which doesn't really make that much sense, to be honest. Even if it's like totally, you know, like totally on the up and up, I would simply say that ASU football stadiums not that far away that stadiums as tall as you know, anything that would be built in the area. I look at the city of Phoenix and be like, have you totally mismanaged the Arizona sports situation where you could have had four major sports teams, maybe even five with the Phoenix rising? You know, I didn't even think about that until right now. Stadiums directly in downtown, like almost every other major city who, well, I mean, talk about driving and funds. And now they're trying to hit on Tempe, Tempe, if Tempe listens to the city of Phoenix or FAA or doesn't work around that, they would just be, they would, it wouldn't even make sense. Like just economic growth wise for the city of Tempe, like you, it would just be like, I don't know what you're doing. And so, but off of that, cause I don't want to harp on that, but just that totally took me off guard. Cause one thing in economics, especially for government, like state governments you need more money. How do you get more money? You need infrastructure, which is why, I like, Scout Harbor so important. But so are, like, all these sports teams are, like, driving people home. So, but, you yeah. Know,
1: that's, uh, that's funny because how many other sports podcasts in the world do you get to hear about eminent domain? That's what separates us from the others, you know? Think of all the uh, – some of the other major hubs and big cities that have successful sports franchises and just bring in a lot of, you know, local crowd and out-of-towners and it's you know i can think of nashville as a perfect example they only have two major stadiums there but they have it built and centered around that downtown area where all the restaurants and bars are located and it's just it's popping off on the weekends
0: totally well and you yeah and so but off that jack mcbain nathan smith debuts nathan's we'll see what they are obviously it's tough to tell game one college to nhl such a massive jump but simply, Nathan Smith, he's gonna be a, he likely will be a very good player. Bill Armstrong, what he traded to get both him and Jack McBain, he actually gave up to get more for Smith. And Smith plays with an edge, man. He is a six foot, like one eighty sender, and he is feisty. And Jack McBain, they think Jack McBain's gonna be Lawson Krause, which Lawson Krause had twenty goals this year, and he was on pace to have like twenty five. And if you're a third line center, or, you know, like a tough physical center is giving you 25 goals, that's a really good player. And so and Nathan Smith, I mean, you know, not to go too, too far, because obviously Clayton Keller is a borderline superstar type player, but another guy who came directly from college, I mean, that's kind of what they're hoping for out of Nathan Smith. So I don't want to put too much pressure on him. It's not like – but – Game one, you know, that's what they're hoping he's going to turn into be. So get some hype behind these dudes. 10 AHL debuts for the yodis this year. Mostly, I think that's because lots of injuries. And at this point, running out at the end of the season, we have an AHL team out there with all these injuries. So it's cool on one hand. On the other, it's exciting because there's a lot of depth. Uh, Let me just go through it real, real quick. Goalie, Vegmelka, I mean, hit and miss, but as far as for a goalie you're going to grow with him in the next few years, you got to really like him. I wish we would have kept Wedgwood, who just shut out the Tampa Bay Lightning for the Stars. It's going to get the Stars into the playoffs, but it is what it is. Chitrin, Connor Timmins, who we haven't even seen. Gosset Spirit tears it up. Mayo, we just re-signed. J.J. Mosier was our second-round pick last year. He's already playing. Soderstrom's been a prospect for a few years. He's still hype. We also have Colin Ununchuck and Deneen. And they really like Strawman in there as an old got old vet for the D. Then offense. You got Keller, Boyd we signed Schmaltz. That's a top line. Michelli's come on strong. Kraus, like I said, Hayton, he's been doing all right. Maybe he can develop into like a second, third line center, give you something there. Maybe even turn him into a winger. I'm not sure. Richie's a monster. You re-signed O'Brien. You still got Ladd, Christian Fisher. That's a solid fourth line right there. TBD, McBain, Smith, Yann Yannick, who knows what he turns into. You still got Gunther, in, who's just teared it up for the Oil Kings. I don't know what they're going to do with him yet. Maybe he could earn a spot, though. And then Bill Armstrong's drafting ability. I mean, that's a lot right there. You had, you know, I don't even know, just like two prominent offensive players, maybe an extra really good player on D, and you sign a really good like one goalie. That's a team, man. And so quick, I expect a quick turnaround. Obviously, Coyotes are hoping for a lot of good prospects as well. So there's a lot to be excited. Team the right way. And you can really see it with the guys that he's picking up. But Alec, a team who has as the least excitement out of maybe any Arizona sports team in recent memory. Well, actually I take that back, because those sons teams. we're so bad. I almost forget now. I'm just look at <laughs> again. You just blocked it from your memory. I did, dude. It's like funny. It's like I just got – you skip over from like 2010 just straight to last year, you know. <laughs> just <laughs> block out a whole decade in a Phoenix Suns basketball. But let's talk Arizona Diamondbacks. Opening day baseball happened. We had the opening day pod. Game one, I mean, electric factory, Seth Beer, a guy we both touched on. Walk off home run, beautiful. David Peralta has stayed hot. Lots of walks for the D-backs so far, Uh, but not much scoring. Unfortunately, we get it. We get the first win with the Seth Beer walk off. We won moments ago with the Kettle Marte walk off. What are your thoughts on the current state of the Diamondbacks? And have you given up already on this season?
1: Uh, interesting question yeah i yeah i've given up already um normally i would say it's too early to tell but when you're running it back from the last couple years you kind of see the path they're headed down and nothing's changed so i've pretty much given up i'm not checked out yet i'll still tune in for the games we'll see how long that lasts I, i like watching baseball even when we suck i manage to just turn it on even if i tell myself i'm not going to Uh, The thing that's jumped out to me and surprised me, though, because we touched on it on our opening day pod last week about expectations. And my biggest concern was the pitching staff and just how terrible they looked. I mean, I know the whole roster in general wasn't great, but my bigger concern was that we're going to be allowing, you know, 10 runs a game. And to their credit, the pitching staff hasn't done that terribly. They had that one blow up game, but otherwise they haven't done that terribly it's our offense. That's even worse than expected. And I, you know, that makes it even tougher when it's, you know, the exact opposite expectations of what you had. I mean, we're getting, it's it's not just the lack of runs, you know, sometimes you can have a lot of good hits, good plays and just the runs don't go your way, but we're not even putting contact on the ball. You mentioned that we're walking a little bit more, which is nice, but, they're just swinging and missing by a mile. And I don't know how you fix that, and I don't know what the problem is, but it's tough to watch night in, night out, at least in this first week.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't have much to disagree with you with there, honestly. Mayo Kelly, stud. Uh, Zach Allen, you know, I get someone else to do your electric box work. You know, I don't know why you're doing there cutting your finger. That's weird. Um. Mad Bum honestly gave good has been good. He's been solid. Um Ian Kennedy has been solid. Mill Lanson, like, he hasn't been as good as advertised, but also like I don't know. He looked it I've seen worse. Um but yeah, to your point. It's like the hitting is just like not there. I mean you basically have it seems like everyone's a hole on that lineup, you know, like realistically, outside of walking, which I guess is the new batting coach's approach, with just how many it seems like everyone's like intentionally trying to take more balls, like have longer played appearances, uh, which on one hand is like a positive because it's like, you know, if you're getting 10, 12 runners on base, today they had 14 left on base. You know, if you're getting, like, you know, realistically six to eight guys on base, like, you're probably getting three or four runs every game, which, you know, I guess that's a good place to start. But I don't know, man. Like, nobody looks good. And it's kind of like your thing with the prospects. Like, you know, prospects are tight, but prospects are tight when they pan out. And, like, you have to set, like, give them a way to succeed. Not, like, just on the Diamondbacks, because you're, like, the worst team in the league, basically. Like, to where you can earn a starting position. But actually be, like, competitive versus the Dodgers and the Padres and the Giants. Like, that's what it takes to be, like, a, a like a panned-out prospect. And it just doesn't seem like there's enough, like, good players on a team outside of the prospects at the moment.
1: Exactly right. And it that's where you see my frustration from prospects. Cause you know, when it works out, you look great, but when it doesn't work out, which seems to frequently happen, especially with us, then it's terrible. You know, I know, I know we're only a weekend, but let me just read to you really quick. Some of the averages through the first week, again, a little bit skewed because it's, you know, not as many plate appearances as they'll get. Some of it's going to even out, but you go down the line, it's 167, 143, 174, 158, 0, 125, 200, 167, 167, and then Seth Beer at a nice 308. I mean, that just, if that doesn't tell you how poorly the hitting has gone in that first week, I don't know what does. And, you know, some of that's going to change. Cattell will get his average up, I'm sure. Peralta will get it up. Um, hopefully, Seth Beer stays close to where he is, but. Yeah, those are just abysmal numbers.
0: Specifically Perdomo, Varsho, and Hummels are dudes batting like in the probably low, maybe high zeros and low ones there. But I've had like an on-base percentage of like 400-ish. And so that's kind of where it's like the walking is cool. Like I like that approach, like, you know, working at bats, working depth into the pitchers. But if you don't have guys, you need to have guys in the major leagues already that guys can come up and learn from learn the ropes like it's the st louis cardinals approach it's the new york yankee approach it's the braves approach you need to have superstars so your prospects can come up and learn how to do it the right way not just like the way some dude in the front office wants or some way that they've been doing in double a and that to me is like i i guess like one example is like the d-backs are bottom five and payroll right now what if they were just like 14th you know what if they just had to like get average payroll you know like the D- arizona phoenix market is the you know a large market it's a top 10 mlb market like why is it being run like a bottom five market and the ex- the quick extrapolation from that thought process is like if you ran the team like that you could have realistically signed a dude and not that you would have wanted to necessarily but you could have signed chris bryant's contract and chris bryant fills a massive hole wherever you want at third base, you know, I don't I don't know that you want to sign Chris Bryant, but I'm just saying, like, a player like that. Or even, like, Trevor Story. Or, you know, you just get a few guys like that. It's like you fill a couple of these holes. This, this whole team looks a lot different.
1: You know who would be great as, like, a star that's been around in the league that came up the right way that could show some of these prospects how to do it? Paul Goldschmidt. Oh, but we didn't want to keep him. You know, I, I... – do you, know how much, do you know
0: how much Paul Goldschmidt gets paid?
1: Not that much. He, he got paid, like a six-year $200 million deal.
0: So it's less than that. It was six-year or $140 or something like that. This year Jeez. he's getting paid only $20 million. If you would add that on to the current D-backs, they would still be bottom seven in MLB payrolls. Doesn't do that get so the, frustrating.
1: Yeah. Do you ever get the feeling that Mike Hazen just like watched – Moneyball and thought that's super cool. I can do that.
0: Well, but you know what's well, I, yeah, I do. That's actually really funny. Sorry, I immediately that left to my next concept. But that, <laughs> yes, but so from that though it's like, but you actually look at that Moneyball roster. You had Miguel Tejada on that roster. You had um, the right fielder Jermaine Die on that roster. There was a lot of really good players on that Moneyball team. For the D-backs, and I guess to your point about the Goldie, like I love that simply because you look at what we traded him for, Luke Weaver, Carson Kelly were the two pieces there. And Carson Kelly, he's not he, – I, I don't feel like there's anything indicating that he's going to make the leap to – not even to like an all-star catcher, obviously, because we kind of saw that for a few months last year. And so maybe it's possible. But it just doesn't feel like he's good enough on defense or on offense. Like he seems like a defensive liability at times as a catcher. And then Luke Weaver, he only has two pitches still from the since the since Goldie's been there. And you know what's funny to your point about the Goldie trade is like everyone's like, oh well, all the picks, the, like you know you got to get younger. It's like Goldie on this team would still be the best player four years later. One
1: hundred percent.
0: And so I. I I kind of like I kind of want to follow your. I love that line of thinking. And honestly, like at this point, I'm kind of the Zach Gallon trade, dude. I'm not convinced we won that trade anymore. And the JD Martinez, like, if JD Martinez is only getting paid twenty two million dollars this year, like adding Goldie for twenty million and JD Martinez for twenty two, if we just would have done those, you know, if you don't give up on Starling Marte so early. His contract up until this year was just like $15 million. And then, like, those are three MVP players that could have been on the team last year. And, like, I don't know. I I guess just for me, it's like you look at the D-backs payroll right now and you add $60 million to it like that's a middle payroll that's not even the, the entire lineup would be so drastically different and all those guys were on the team
1: yeah that's a great point it's not like hey these guys were available and you didn't go try to get them it's like these guys were already on your team and you didn't keep them
0: but it's in the seats you know if you're gonna be complaining about wanting to build a new stadium or like oh we can't compete here can't compete there it's like you yeah, had Jazz Chisholm, JD Martinez, Paul Goldschmidt, and Stony Monte all could have realistically been without too much of a leap, like anywhere across the board, except for the fact that they don't want to pay anybody. It's like, I don't feel like it's that much to ask for a team that is in a top 10 market for MLB to act like they're a middle of the road payroll type team. And if they did that, the team would look so much different. And then, like,
1: wouldn't have five fans in the stands every game.
0: Twelve thousand fans today. Twelve thousand, and yeah, wow, 40, on a on a beautiful Wednesday stadium. afternoon. Yeah. Any is there any positives though about the D backs at this moment, or maybe even just baseball?
1: You know. Uh, positives for baseball. I don't know. Did you see the uh, Sean Murphy hit by pitch? Brody. Yeah, and dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that was hysterical. I just, I couldn't believe that actually happened in baseball. dude.
0: Both cheeks. Yeah. Now that I saw the video, I didn't know who it was. Yeah. But I think like
1: that, that's one of those moments where it's like it got people on the internet talking. It got the Twitter world going and like, that's the stuff baseball kind of needs to help market itself. So funny stuff like that or cool plays, like those are the stuff you want to see. So I guess that's positive. Um, Not a positive is Dave Roberts pulling a, perfect Clayton Kershaw after 7 innings cuz he's at 80 pitches. Why would you do that?
0: Well, I don't know, man. I I saw the Kershaw comments where like he was like, yeah, you know, like I was fine with it. Like I hadn't no he didn't throw a baseball all off season, he said. And like I it's like valid. I mean, arm health is like definitely a concern. And I guess my only point is, is like with that, it's like if it was a no-hitter, that's one thing, you know, like no-hitters aren't totally, they're not normal, but it's not like they don't, like they don't do happen. Like there's been 23 perfect games in the history of baseball, like millions of baseball games. There's been 23. And, you know, Kershaw is arguably the best, like pitcher of his generation, like For Kurt, I don't know, man. Like honestly, that made me think a lot less of Kershaw. Like Max Scherzer never would have been pulled. He would have yelled. He would have fought Dave Roberts.
1: He would have punched him in the face, dragged his ass back to the dugout, (laughs) and then finished the game.
0: I I feel like most. I feel like legitimately most. I don't know. I, I I don't even know. I don't even know how he got away with it. To be honest, like I at one point on one hand it's like yeah Dave Roberts I can't believe he did that, and on the other it's like Kershaw like how did you let him do that like. Per, it's not a perfect game, man. Like, and you're six outs away. It's not like you're at 80 pitches and that's, like, the fifth inning. And it's like, okay, you're kind of far away. Like, that, he had just finished the seventh inning and Gavin Lux had just made, like, that signature, like, perfect game play. Like, the hop over the second base, really tough play, barely beat him by a step, got him. And, yeah, dude, just the – I don't know, man. I, that, that has to – anger the baseball gods in a way that like that becomes like the billy goat curse honestly like i hope it does because that's horrendous
1: yeah and it's just bad for baseball like a perfect game people will tune in they'll want to see that
0: yeah and i don't want to be like an old man like oh this is bad for baseball like rah, 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 rah. but it's just like you could All have one. i mean no but like for clayton kershaw it makes no sense like if you had a perfect game to Clayton Kershaw's resume, I mean, you you're talking about maybe one of the best pitchers of all time. Oh yeah, not just one of the best pitchers of his generation. Like, and so for him to be cool with that, like I, I, I mean, obviously much better at baseball than I will ever be in my life. But I definitely lost some for respect for the man, to be honest, and the Dodgers in general. Like I just, I, I I even get it, like the new age stuff. It's like it's still so early in the season. Guys have only been throwing for, like, a month. Like, you see all these pitchers only pitching, like, four or five innings at the, right now. It's like we see it in our quality starts in the league. Very few people are even going five, six innings, much less seven to get the quality start, unless you're Alec Hans one and Alec Hans two. Um, but to think that you're at 80 pitches with six outs left for a perfect game, because he could have thrown, like, one more, got gave up a hit, 81, yank him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, if you're doing a perfect game, you're probably at maxing out at 96, 100 pitches. Come for them. I hope this is a curse that literally lasts 100 years, like I said. Yeah, I hope we're talking about it in 50 years. Have you seen Seiya Suzuki play, by the way? No. Oh, dude. He's really good. He's like the new Japanese center fielder for the Cubs. Bro, this dude, he (laughs) breaks. He's so good. Um but yeah, you know who else really good, Alec?
1: Uh, I don't know who. Um,
0: the Phoenix Suns. Let's let's just jump right into the Phoenix Suns here. We'll go fairly quickly, but with respect, um, just, <laughs> let's just talk about the last week. You know, we sent the Lakers home in back to back seasons. Uh, the Clippers game, we were down by thirty nine with nobody playing with 7.50 left of the third. They only lost by four. Again, good teams win, great teams cover. They covered with no starters playing. The Jazz game, starters back in. Down by 17 with 11.30 left in the game. They win by six. Book dominant performance. Classic clutch W. Jazz are irrelevant, it seems like. Also... With that, Suns franchise record, 64 franchise W wins. Best record in the NBA by eight games in an 82-game season. That's literally like 10% of the season. Number one seed, most wins in the NBA since 2017, 2018. And not only that, but for Alec, Frank Kaminsky got waived. Alec, tell me how you feel right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, how can you not feel great? you laid it all out there. Franchise record for wins. I feel like we also could have gone for a lot more. I mean, we didn't finish the season strong, but that's because we were resting everybody, you know, like you said, we were resting everybody every other day. So I feel like this team, if they wanted to, could have gotten to 68, 69 wins, but you know, they'd rather play it safe, not get anybody hurt, get your rest and get ready for what really matters, which is the 16 wins to come in the playoffs. Um, but, yeah, so it, it's cool to have that record. Frank Kaminsky, the bane of my existence, is gone and off the playoff roster. Uh, you know, he just wasn't needed. You know, he, he, he put his time in, but he just wasn't needed. I won't have to watch Giannis just absolutely work him over or anyone, for that matter, that he could put up against because we got JaVale, up got Biombo, So I'm excited. I'm going into the pl- playoffs very excited.
0: So historically, 64-win season, which is the – I had to double check just to make sure. But, yeah, 64 dubs for the Suns. Historically, 64 wins means you have a 63% title chance. Historically in the NBA, 63% of the team with 64 more wins have won the title. Also, 32-9 road record, which is a seven point seven eight win percentage. On the road is better than every home record in the NBA, including the Suns' on record, which is kind of funny. That was last done by the sixty-nine seventy Knicks, who also won a title. And I mean, I it's kind of weird to be going from like, yo, we're literally the worst team in the NBA for ten years to now like, you know, finals appearance and what feels like another a like, a back-to-back season where if we don't make the finals of at least the Western Conference, it's going to be a major letdown for the Suns fans.
1: Yeah, which we're not used to at all.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, we just talked about the Coyotes. We just talked about the D-backs. We just talked about the Cardinals. Like, the the cream of the crop, not only right now, but maybe in the – like, the – Outside of the 0-1 D backs, that's all that's the only title that Arizona has. And the Phoenix Suns are as good as any team Arizona has ever had. And it's, it's exciting, man. It's very exciting. So how do you feel about do you feel good about our chances to win it all? Do you feel good about well, let's start here before we get that far. Timberwolves beat the Clippers last night. Patrick Beverly won. You know the NBA Finals, so that's huge. How do you feel about the T-Wolves being the seven and then the Clippers having to play the winner, of the Spurs Pelicans, to have the right to play the Phoenix Suns in the first round?
1: I think that actually worked out well for us. Um, I don't think we would have had a problem with the T-Wolves at all if we ended up having to play them. But I think you might have mentioned this too. I don't want Pat Bev anywhere near... Chris Paul or any of our guys in the first round of a playoff series that they are probably not going to win because that's just asking for someone to get hurt because he's a dirty piece of shit player. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad we're avoiding the t Wolves not because of the team, but because of Pat Bev. And then, yeah, having to play the Clippers slash the Spurs or the Pelicans, I think we match up well against – all three of those teams. So I think it's a favorable draw for us. Obviously it's playoffs. You still got to take care of business, but I think at this point, any one of those teams would be fine.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have to say Clippers in the first round is probably, it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel. I feel like the Clippers are going to win, beat the Spurs or the Pelicans. Um, I feel like the Spurs would be the easiest matchup. I feel like the Pelicans just simply because they have Willie green, our former assistant coach that might be kind of like, he would know what we're running. It would just have to be like, yo, we are the better players. Like we're going to win this game. So, which I guess is what it comes down to the playoffs anyway, at the end of the day. And obviously the Clippers, like, you know, Paul George had probably the worst game I've ever seen Paul George play outside of when he's guarded by Mikhail Bridges, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it – I don't know. I think the Clippers were the toughest of the four, to be honest. I think on one hand it's kind of, like, better to get them early versus, like, there, there's there been some rumors of Kawhi having an outside shot of being able to return in the second round. I don't know. I mean, so – but the Clippers are just a tough team for the Suns. They just match up weird. So, I'm not really jacked about getting them in the first round, in all honesty. I do think that the Suns would take care of business in six. But I I think there were easier matchups. To your point, though, like I brought up last pod, Pat Bev is the band of Arizona sports existence at the moment. He's just, you know, realistically, Chris Paul would have a torn MCL in the first round of the series when we played Pat Bev. It just like he would dive right into the knee because he's a tool like that. And I honestly – You could even see it last night against the Clippers. He's just, like, a dirty player, like, straight up. And, like, in a way that's not even, like, tough or physical. But just I'm surprised more people don't punch Pat Dev in the face, like, legitimately. Because there's careers on the line with with some of the stuff that he does.
1: Yeah, I don't know how he gets away with it for as long as he has because he's just a dirty player that, Yeah. His goal out there is to injure somebody if his team isn't doing well or it's not going his way.
0: Uh, to your point? Go for
1: it. Go for it. I was going to say, to your point about the Clippers, it is funny because, like, whenever we play the Clippers, Marcus Morris ends up being, like, MJ or Kobe and just plays the best game of his life every single time.
0: Oh, well, and Reggie but Jackson.
1: I, and Reggie Jackson, too. But I He's still, I, Jordan, still like, I still like our odds um, against them, I think. Obviously, yeah, the Spurs or the Pelicans are probably an easier matchup, but I think any one of those teams, any one of those three teams, the series is going to go no more than five or six games.
0: That's true. I mean, and especially when you're led by Coach Monty Williams, racks up his second Coach's Coach of the Year award. I mean, clearly, I I, th- I thought this was funny. Is like, why would there be a Coach of the Year award and then a Coach's coach of the year award and someone was like well clearly the coaches know that the nba media knows absolutely nothing and i was like well one that does absolutely make sense and two is true so monty williams coach of the year how do we feel about that yeah
1: it's his his second in a row um which i'm sure means that he's not going to get the uh media's coach of the year award. Um, I'm sure that Devin Booker will not get the MVP. And I guarantee it that uh, Rudy Gobert or somebody else will win defensive player of the year over Mikhail Bridges. Because that's just the way the world works.
0: Well, it, you know, quick points on the D book MVP talk, 87th in touches per game. First in points per touch. Uh, you look at Kobe's 09 season, very similar to 22 Booker. Mikhail Bridges 331 games out of 331 games he's played in the nba wild leads the nba in minutes defensive miles traveled and is second in the nba in plus minus and clutch percent i mean our three darlings for awards at the moment um but on on the same side like do you think suns fans are getting kind of spoiled you know because you know d book being an MVP talks, I mean, that wasn't happening even at the all-star break. And now it's like, everyone's like, honestly, the fact that that's not even going to happen is kind of absurd, especially when the main competition is, you know, Jokic, who's like a seventh seed guy. Yeah. I mean, I think,
1: I think we might've talked about it, but, I think the whole last couple of weeks, the ESPN first take circus show of, oh, how have you not been talking about D book, D book for MVP, blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a game of saving fates. They intentionally didn't talk or this guy for the entire year, despite the fact that the Suns have been the number one team in the NBA since probably what, November, mid November, they had a rough start. And then since then they've been far and above the number one seed So, you know, the guys in charge that are controlling who gets talked about and when are suddenly now, oh, shit, this team is actually going to be the number one team. Uh, Let's save face and be like, oh, Booker for MVP, Booker for MVP. After knowing that we have just heard his campaign the entire year and he has no shot about it, but at least we can point back and say, see, we told you he should have been the MVP. So I think it's all just talking through their ass and I don't buy any of it. It's nice that he's actually getting some recognition now, but it's just one of those two little too late. I don't think he's even going to finish in the top three for MVP voting.
0: Yeah. I'm kind of split, honestly. As time has gone on, I, I really don't – like, I don't know if Book – I just, like, I guess for me, like, it's a two, double-edged sword because on one hand it's, like, give – the boys, all the motivation that I want for them. And on the other, it's just kind of like, it's just kind of weird. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, the fact that he wouldn't be defensive player of the year, if you look at all the metrics, just like, doesn't make a ton of sense. And my only point with the MVP award would be Giannis is a three seed. And like yeah, has Giannis gotten a lot better? Sure, but like the it's not like the east wall like closer than it normally is. It's like it's not super tough. Like the Nets with Kyrie and KD are the seven seed now, and they together probably played what like twenty games, so they didn't even like they just kind of like derp through half this like half more than half the season, and they're still in the playoffs. And then on the flip side. Like Denver's a six seed. And, like, yeah, while Jokic is like very, the entire offense runs through Jokic. It's just like what I pointed out is like Booker is clearly the best player on the best team. And not only is he like so good at that, he's so efficient at scoring. He's be- like, he's more efficient than every single player that you would name that you would think is better than Devin Booker. Which at this point, I'm not even sure how many there would be. And so, and Phoenix dominated the league. They didn't just like, you know, it's not like, oh, Phoenix is up by like two games. They, it, <laughs> the Memphis Grizzlies to the Minnesota, the team that they're about to play, the two to the seven seed, their records. I think we might have, I might have said that it's on a previous pod are as close as Phoenix's is to Memphis, who is the first team and the second team in the NBA. And so it's just like, I don't feel like that's getting enough appreciation. I I will say like, I feel like the Suns fans need to enjoy more. Like the fact that they're just like in talks and it's like, you know, we're really only in year two of this. And so it is really cool, obviously, like, take advantage of the moment. Like, let's run it back. Like, let's get back to the finals, the team's deeper. Like, I feel good about this. I, I mean, I feel a lot better about the Suns this year than I did last year. You know, you got to think for a lot of the development of Booker, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, DeAndre. And it's like, you go through a finals run, like, you got better. You didn't get – do not staying the same, especially when you're, like, 22 years old, 23, 24, books, 25. Um. But so I guess I have like a – it's like really cool, but also at the same time it's like kind of silly to your point. It's like the media narrative. You're not giving the boys enough credit is like not my problem. And so let's do a quick pick-em. them right. Let's yeah. Say, I, let's let, me, let me just say one quick thing. Okay. Uh,
1: my only concern going into this is – It's not a new thing. We've been dealing with it all season, but it can come more into play against tougher teams in, like, close series. If the whistle keeps going against us the way it does, it's going to be a problem. The free throw disparity between us and every other team we play, seemingly every night, is getting really old. And it's excusable when it's the regular season and you're up by 10 games against the next closest opponent but in the playoffs when it's a best of seven first to four wins and the other team shooting 43 throws and you're shooting 15 like that that's a problem and i'm just hoping that it doesn't go that route but history tells us otherwise and i just hope we don't run into scott foster because he's one of the few people that i fear could derail this season
0: well that seems like a fairly big issue you know but we've I mean, the only
1: reason I say it's not as big of an issue is because we've dealt with it all season, so it's not new to us. We have managed to win as many games as we have even without taking all those free throws and the other team getting them. It's just you don't want that to, to be a trend that continues and hopefully they correct that for the playoffs.
0: Oh, man. I feel like there's a lot of juice there. I don't think I've done enough research, unfortunately, on the free throw disparity to fully give that conversation the recognition it needs. I do have a feeling I will be fully prepared by next week around this time, though. Well, I'm yeah, I mean, it.
1: hopefully it, it doesn't become an issue at all. But, like, even in that Clippers game that we uh, – our starters didn't really play and we had to have that big comeback to come within, like, three, the Clippers shot 44 free throws and we shot 11. Just, yeah, that's and true. It, it, it's not like that's a rare instance, you know. It's not like oh, that only happened once. Like that happens all the time. So that's the only thing I'll say. I'm just that there's nothing the Suns can really do about that. They voice no, their concerns think, about it, but
0: but I, I feel like next pod I'll come prepared, and that'll be a talking point specifically because, in all honesty, that was the biggest problem versus Giannis and the Bucks in the finals. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Like, that was the main thing, was that Giannis would run over Aiden every single time they called call the foul on Aiden And then Giannis would have 30 free throws, make 20 of them, and then make 10 shots. And everyone was like, oh, my God, Giannis had 50 points. Like, this is crazy. Like, what a great game. And I would honestly, like, text you, like, did you watch that game? Like, how did Giannis – how was Giannis not fouled out by, like, the half?
1: Yeah, or how does a guy score 50 points on 10 field goals? (laughs)
0: 100%. And so I think that is an excellent point. Do you feel like the Suns haven't done enough to address that? Or do you feel like maybe even Booker and Chris Paul's antics towards the refs at times can, like, you know, cause the refs to be less favorable? And or do you just feel like that's, like, a function of the way the Suns play it, where they, like, get their mid-range shots? They don't necessarily, like, drive hard to the hoop all the time? And the way that, like, a slasher would, like, Booker and Chris Paul tend to, like, get to their spots. And, you know, D.A. has moments where he gets, like, tough like that. But usually, like, if he doesn't, like, force it at this point, his hook shot is a masterpiece, dude. That 70% hook shot is magical. Huge weapon for the playoffs. What do you think about that? Do you think that's on the Suns or specifically, like, the refs, like, not calling it good enough? for how Dom or not showing enough respect to the suns in a way
1: i don't even think it's about respect i mean yeah there's there's the free throw attempts don't have to be equal for both teams like you said teams play differently some teams play more down low some teams splash more threes so there's going to be some differences but it it's to an extent right like it's not as egregious as it has been where it is clearly just a you're not calling these fouls i mean The amount of times I've watched Mikhail Bridges drive and because he's got his long alien arms can contort his body and still make these crazy little like fadeaway shots slash, you know, layups, depending on where he's at. And he just gets absolutely hammered and never gets the call, like never gets the call. And, you know, he's not the type to throw a fit, like get in their ear, like Chris Paul or book sometimes is, and even he'll make a reaction and get up said about it and like it's just yeah so i i don't think it's or, even,
0: or even to back you up the cam johnson Knicks game you know he got so banged up that he literally set out for 15 games but he got yeah. so angry he like had a career high all because julius randall was just pushing him around and julius randall was getting calls and cam johnson wasn't you know just as an egregious like example but definitely like you know seems like the norm And to your point, it's like, it's not necessarily that Giannis was getting 20 free throws. It was that Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton were also like getting 12 each. And Booker would have like 10, and Chris Paul would have like eight, and Aiden would have four. And he's just like, bro, what the heck? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I don't want to make a big thing of
1: it. It was just, that was something I been worried about for the last couple of weeks. Um, and so I hopefully it's not an issue in the playoffs. And even if it does become an issue, hopefully with the way our team has been built and the way they played all season, that they can overcome that anyway and still find a way to win. So I'm excited. And yeah, let's do the pick
0: Well, just real quick. Do you feel like maybe the book narrative book narrative as an MVP candidate helps like, the respect that he's going to get from the refs as far as like foul calls or anything like that, or even like Mikael Bridges being like DPOY consideration. He's going to get – no, you just don't think it helps the songs at all. Book
1: is the least respected superstar in the league. He gets no foul calls. Your favorite
0: player's favorite player, Devin Book. Yeah. Isn't that so crazy how much love he's getting from everybody but the media and the refs and the NBA as a whole, but all the players are like, yeah, I love him. So, getting recognition from people that know what they're talking about, weird. (laughs) Yeah, it's very weird. All right, so let's just assume the Clippers win. Phoenix, Clippers, obviously, I think you have the Suns in – what do you got? I got Suns in five. Okay. I don't know how I feel about this one. I think it would depend. I do think the Clippers win the playing game, so I do think it will be the Clips. Um, I think probably Suns in six would be my safe bet. Uh, five if they're feeling good, and then possibly even four. You know, like, Suns and four, bring it back. Like, I don't know. I just think the Clips are a tough matchup for us. Dallas, Utah. I got Utah in that series. Okay. Uh, I, think
1: the, uh, I think there's still a question mark on the injury to Luka and his calf. And I think even with Luka healthy, I think the Mavs are semi-fraudulent. Maybe I'm just biased because every time they play the Suns, we beat the shit out of them. But yeah, I think Utah is a better team. So,
0: Luke, I don't know if I think Luca might only have at most legitimately one win versus DeAndre. Ian. he might not have any. I don't know the exact stat, but he doesn't have two. I know that, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, I think I would go. I think if Luca plays, I'm going Dallas. Though I don't think. Okay. I think <laughs> I don't know what's going on in Utah. I don't think they have any hope. I think Donovan Mitchell is gone. I, I think that whole, I think that whole thing is over. I think Utah. I think that's honestly one reason why everyone's like trying to be careful about what, how they talk about the Suns, is because of what Utah did last year, and then where they are right now, um, and then of stopping a big market. I guess to on top of that. Um, so, yeah, Utah's dead to me, dude. And I think – um, so then Golden – I would say Utah and six – or Dallas in six, sorry. Utah's dead. Um, Golden State, Denver.
1: I think Golden State breezes by. I think Denver – you know, Jokic is great, but I just don't think they have a lot outside of that.
0: Okay. See, I'm going to go Denver. I, I don't think – um, I don't think Golden State's any good right now. And Steph Curry, you know, if he plays – Obviously, there's always the X factor of him and Clay, like just draining threes, like old days, Smash Bros. Um, Jordan, I just – I think kind of Jokic showed last year he could win a series by himself. And I think Golden State is probably the series that he could do that in. So, yeah, I think Jokic is a stud. I just don't think he is, like, better than – you know, I think just the way they play is weird. Um, so. I, I
1: hope you're right, though, because I think Golden State actually kind of gives us some troubles in our matchup. So if, if Denver could take him out, I think that helps us out in the long term.
0: Sure. Well, and to that point, like, I think if we were to meet Golden State in the final, Steph Curry realistically is healthy by then. I think that's a whole different beast for sure. Um, Memphis, Minnesota.
1: I think Memphis breezes by. I don't think Minnesota is any good.
0: <laughs> okay. See, I think um, – I think it's going to be a tough test for Memphis, in all honesty. Not that I think that they won't win, but I think they're going to have to deal with Pat Bev. And I think if you're John Morant, that is like the last thing you wanted to be doing in the first round of the playoffs. Like very similarly to how I feel the Suns feel at the moment. And so I just, yeah, I mean, I, I think Memphis wins, but I think Minnesota is going to give them some issues. Uh, Memphis is deep though, man. And so I'm actually glad they're on the other side of the bracket from us at the moment because it'll be based on what you're saying Memphis, Golden State, and that's gonna be a tough game versus the Suns versus Dallas or Utah. Like, I'm you know, I'm glad they're on that other side there. East, real quick, real quick, Miami, Cleveland. I think
1: Miami takes that, no problem.
0: Do you think Cleveland's gonna win the play in over um, the? uh hornets or whoever the east has there, hornets or hawks I, th- I think they probably will yeah okay um philly toronto
1: dude the east is so weird like the two through well honestly one through like six are all i think philly's gonna take that one but they're having their own problems right now who would have guessed that james harden doesn't work out everywhere he goes
0: it only works out in the club, baby. <laughs> yeah,
1: but I still, th- I still think Philly's more talented, and I think they'll win the first round.
0: Sure, I'm gonna go Miami as well. I'm gonna go upset Toronto because you Ooh. know who d- cannot play in Toronto. My um, Tyrese Maxi, right? Is it Maxi or Thibault? Oh yeah, because they got the It's the... not vaxxed. and so I uh, they're gonna have to play games without their third best player, and like Toronto, you know. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I think Joel Embiid can just go off too. Like, I think it'll be, a, I just think it'll be a tight series. And I think Toronto has a chance. I don't know if I think they actually will win, but that's like my pick, like my hot pick. So, yeah. All right. Milwaukee, Chicago. Uh, I thinking?
1: would love, I would love Chicago to return to their midseason form and give Milwaukee a fight. Um, but Chicago's dead. They've been dead for, like, two months now. I think Milwaukee's just going to walk all over them.
0: Yeah, I mean, the team that's dropped from the one seed to the six seed within two months here, um, tough. No Lonzo Ball back for him. He seems like basically, you know, he runs that whole team, it seems like. Um, I agree. Milwaukee takes that. But also could be heated, though. Like, I think that's definitely kind of – well, no, I take it back. Um, Boston, Brooklyn. This is
1: the most interesting series to me in the first round, actually. Um, cause I can go, I can be convinced either way. Boston was very fraudulent to start the year and they've turned it on. They almost did like an exact reverse of Chicago. Um, and then Brooklyn's okay. been the seven seed just cause of the injuries and the vaccination issues and whatnot. Like they haven't, that's not their healthy full team playing as a seven seed, you know? Okay. So, I could see either of them winning. I think I would give the edge to Brooklyn, though. But if you gave right. me some stat that said Boston would win, I would probably go with that, too. But I'm going to stick with Brooklyn for now.
0: Ooh, I think that's a good pick. Okay, let me let me give you some scenarios. Okay, Ben Simmons doesn't play the whole series. Does that change it?
1: No, I, I think that it's actually worse for Brooklyn than if Ben Simmons plays.
0: Okay, well, what if Ben Simmons does play?
1: I think that gives the edge to Boston. I think that'll disrupt the chemistry of the team, and Ben Simmons is a known choker, especially in the playoffs. <laughs> I love
0: that. Also, um, who do you think are the better, the best two players in that series? You got Jason Tenham Jaden Brown, KD Kyrie. Do you think it's clearly KD Kyrie there?
1: Yeah, I think it's clearly KD Kyrie, but I think Boston plays as a team better.
0: That's fair. Marcus Smart, uh, DPOY candidate. Um, yeah, dude, I don't know, man. I, I'm with you. Like, I, I, you, but you know what? I think I would rather have Brooklyn win simply because in the next round, they would have to play Milwaukee. And I think Brooklyn, I think Brooklyn is scary in the playoffs for all the reasons why they've been the favorite since like October. And we'll wrap it up quickly here. But if I think if Ben Simmons plays or not. I, I don't think it matters. I don't think that you should play him starter minutes either way. But I think you should get, try to get him going as soon as possible because he doesn't even need to be point guard. You have him be, like, basically what Mikael Bridges does, um, which is just, like, you put him on a dude and then you let him, like, slash from time to time to get some buckets on the offensive zone. I mean, Ben Simmons is one of the best defenders in the league.
1: Yeah, but, but Mikael Bridges can
0: shoot. Uh, sure, but you just, like... With when you have KD and Kyrie, like those guys are the shooters. Like Ben Simmons, yeah, yeah, doesn't need to shoot on that team, which is why I think like the Billy trade, I actually like. I might like that better for Brooklyn in the long run, because Ben Simmons is much younger and he does what like Kyrie and KD like don't want to do anymore, which is like all the rebounding and defensive stuff. Like that's what Ben Simmons is actually really really good at. And he's also really, really good at finding de- shooters, which is what KD and Kyrie are, basically. So I think, you know, Brooklyn next year, I think, is a whole different problem, which is why I think the Suns, like, this is definitely their year. If, like, this is going to be where if you don't get it this year, it's going to be a miss out. Um, but with that, I think Brooklyn probably wins. It's probably really close. It's probably a battle. Boston you know if Kate, uh, Kyrie should like be in and out of that stadium as fast as possible um but that's gonna be it that definitely is the series to watch in my opinion as well it's exciting and so with that that's the first round we covered a lot here the dhp reps um Alec thanks for your time dog like I know you got some ish to do here but is there any uh oh sorry boss but we got a new chill guy grinder
1: oh yeah Gotta make amends with Commish.
0: Yeah, dude. how do you feel about Alec or uh, Max Beef with the D H P at the moment, dude?
1: You know, I think he's he's been the commish for a while now and uh, he should know what comes with the territory. People are gonna complain, people are gonna, you know, have issues with certain rule changes and whatnot, and he's gotta gotta take it and move on because that's what the commish does, and that's you know, we respect him as comish. I wouldn't want His job, I know it's a tough job, so, you know, I hope he knows that when we criticize, it's just from a place of love and trying to get the league better, and it's not personal. So, hopefully we can resolve this beef with the commish.
0: Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, I you know, I think, you know, fascist commish is definitely a thing, obviously. But I would also say, like, if I could have one commissioner for any league that I know of at the moment, it would be Mac Daddy. Like, let him run the NFL. Let him run the NBA. Let him run the MLB. He'd probably be better than all those guys. Goodell's a clown. Manfred's a clown. Adam Silver, I mean, he's okay, you know, at the end of the day. But he's probably a communist. So, like, we're not a huge proponent of that. Um, But I don't know. I was kind of surprised. I thought, you know, the commission was above it all. But just, you know, showing some love to the commission, you know, just didn't necessarily love all the ideas. So, we're excited to have him on the pod soon, now, and. Um. Yeah, just wrapping it back to the chill guy grinder. Who you got? Yeah, so my grinder of the
1: week uh, is going to be Seth Beer. So, dude, dude hits a walk off bomb on National Beer Day, gets us our first win of the year, and probably the only time the entire twenty twenty two season that the D backs will have a record that is at or above five hundred. So, you know, shouts out to the grinder Seth Beer. He's been Talked about for a while now, coming up through the system, and he's showing out and actually playing well through his first big league week as a rookie. So,
0: grinder of the week. I mean, he could be the best player on the team. Besides Cato Marte, obviously. Um, Yeah, I would say my chill guy um, of the week. Obviously, shout out to Jordan Bruner for his excellent pick last week. Um, My chill guy of the week this week is uh, Stephen Kwan. Uh, Shout out to the commission for picking this guy up. Cleveland guardians, dude, this guy is 10 for 15 as a rookie. And he is absolutely tearing it up for the Cleveland guardians right now, which what a terrible name, obviously. Um, And he also has like legitimately 10 walks. And I, I think his hit streak broke today or whatever. But he's been dominating. Also, Seiya Suzuki for the Cubs. Two dudes that are just monsters. Seiya Suzuki was a better offensive player in the Japan League than Shohei Otani was. So, I'm very interested to see how that carries over. Because obviously, Otani is like a physical freak. And Seiya Suzuki is a little bit more of just like your outfielder guy. But I've been watching a lot of Cubs games through the MLB TV. And he doesn't swing at anything out of the plate outside the zone, and he's been carrying the cups, so I'm kind of excited to see what he can do. So kind of a combo there, but the two dudes that have been on my radar for fantasy that I really wanted that were already picked up. so um yeah, those are my show guys of the week. Um, and yeah Alec, any last thoughts for the as we head into Easter weekend here.
1: Yeah, as we head into Easter weekend, just uh, thankful for all the homies out there. Hope you guys get to spend some time with your family and get ready for this playoff run the Suns are about to go on. I'm sure uh, you know we're going to be busy here the next couple weeks, but I'm sure we'll get a a Suns updated pod where hopefully we can bring some good news about advancing on to the next rounds and what we think is going to happen there. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, a week from today, we could be up 3-0, so... Big stuff, man. It's, it's, I'm excited to have playoff basketball right around the corner. Obviously, it would be cooler if the D-backs were hot. And it would be a little bit cooler even if the Coyotes were really good. But you can't have it all. And it's just exciting, man. Just exciting time for sports. And, uh, yeah, man. Another one bites the dust. Crushed it.
1: Yeah, that was fun. Uh, bummer we couldn't get Santee on. Uh, hope hope he's feeling better with that little back spasm he's got going on. Uh, and we'll get him on here in a little bit so that he can brag about his wonderful March Madness bracket that was as close to perfect as I think he could be.
0: True, true.